Catholic Church was like the entire church, like pre-Reformation, right? Before all the Protestants split off. The denomination we're a part of has a little, a little paragraph on what All Saints Sunday is, and I want to read that just so we kind of know what we're observing here. The handbook says, All Saints Sunday is a service in memory of the saints that have gone before us to their eternal rest. The service brings to remembrance that the world of the Spirit is larger and more real than the world that we wake up to every day. In this service, the congregation has the opportunity to offer thanksgiving for the spiritual companionship of the saints in the face of the discouraging forces of evil, violence, grief, and pain in our own time. In just a minute, I'm going to explain to us uh, how we're going to worship in this. But before we do that, Pastor Rob is going to come up. He he has another job where he's a chaplain as well. And a big part of his role as chaplain is walking people through grief. And so he's just going to give us some language and some guidance on grief in general. And then I'll give us some instructions on what worship looks like. And, and we'll go forward like that, okay? And for the cold, we only have a couple more Sundays in here. And there is a heater in the other church. Okay, so Pastor Rob, come on up. Can you all hear me? Okay. So, grief. Um, as Matt had just mentioned, um, a lot of the line of the work that I do is dealing and working with individuals that are uh, going through some form of grief or that are grieving. And by this day being uh, All Saints Day, is to really reflect on uh, individuals that we have uh, lost from the past, if it's of this year or previous years. And so uh, what grief is, uh, for those who are able to check out on the screen, grief is a deep, poignant distress caused by or as if by bereavement. A cause of such suffering in an unfortunate situation, a deep sadness. That also may too may look or be um, of someone who that was dear and near to us that is no longer here, that have transitioned on. But also grief is also life challenges or life changes, life altering changes that once was is no longer. Just to reflect of the things that was in our lives, if it be a person, if it be a, a job, a relationship, all those things that we were once familiar with is no longer, or person that is no longer with us. That is grief. But also in that, there are uh, several different stages of grief that are very common, and that's the five stages of grief. That is acceptance, depression, uh, uh, denial, bargaining, anger. And these are all the definitions of what the five stages of grief is. Denial, the first one, is a normal reaction to rational Overwhelming emotions is a defense mechanism that buffers the immediate shock of a loss. The anger of grief is used as a numbing effect 
of the denial stage of grief that begins to wear off the pain of a loss that starts to firmly take hold as we search for blame, a feeling of intense guilt, and lash out are those emotions. Then we have bargaining, the what ifs. Uh, this stage of grief, it serves as an important purpose. It provides a temporary escape from pain. It provides hope and gives a person a time to adjust to the reality of their situation. Then we also have depression. This type of depression is not a sign of mental illness. It is an appropriate response to a great loss you might have experienced. An intense sadness, uh, which causes decrease of sleep, reduce of uh, appetite, and a loss of motivation are common. And last but not least, an acceptance. This refers to um, accepting the realities of a loss in the fact of nothing can change that reality. This does not mean that a person is okay with this form of loss. So I just want you just to reflect on that form of grief, but I want us to, um, which I forgot to grab my iPad, I apologize. But I want you to reflect on this form of grief, on those different uh, stages of grief, and where are you at in this form of grief? as you remember your lost ones, as you're remembering those life-altering changes. Where are you? Are you at all five? And that's okay. If you won, uh, whatever, which one that you're currently, or uh, the stages of grief that you're at, it's okay to be there. I know especially within uh, the Christian faith, especially when it comes to a, uh, the loss of a loved one, you get over it. That's a lie. It's okay to grieve. There's no time limit of grieving. There may be a chance that you may not ever get over it. But you learn how to cope with it. You learn how to live with it. Wherever that that is. So, I'm going to read off um, a liturgy, or a, um, an inspired verse uh, of, from the Psalms of... Um, 22, Psalms 22, and I'm going to read off as the leader, and I want you to read off as it pops up on the screen as the all, as we read together, and I'll lead us off. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me, so far from the words of my groaning? And together we say, oh my God, I cry by day but you do not answer, and by night, by I find no rest. In you, our ancestors trusted. They trusted you, and you delivered them. And together we say, it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe upon my mother's breast. Since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. And together we all read together. God does not despise the affliction of the afflicted. God does not hide from me when I cry to God. God's hear me. Thanks be to God. Amen. So part of how we're going to 
corporately worship here for the next few minutes is our worship team is going to come up and we're going to lead in a couple songs but if you notice like there's a table right here there's a table there a few tables in the back we're going to have different spiritual directors at these spaces and really what they're doing is giving witness to your grief okay so this might feel different it might feel intimidating it might feel scary I invite you, if you at all feel prompting to participate, I invite you to participate. So what that looks like is you'll go to one of these stations, and if it's an individual or individuals that you're grieving, you can say their name, and a candle will be lit for them. You can say some things about them. You can uh, say a favorite memory, or, or simply say their name. But these spiritual directors will be there to just sharing that to hold that with you for others of us there might be a season that you're grieving in a very real way right now i'm grieving like my own mortality which sounds so huge but you guys know i, I was rather public how i went through cancer this year and I'm, I'm grieving that in a different way and that's that's the kind of thing you can light a candle for typically a church will observe this every year so you kind of you grieve the loss of people or events throughout that year, but we haven't had this before. So maybe there's someone who died three years ago that you want to name. Or maybe there's someone who hasn't died, but you don't have the relationship with them that you long for. And if you don't feel the freedom to say their name, you don't have to. You can go up with an unnamed grief, and that moment will be held with you, with your spiritual director. You can go up and just light a candle. And if you need a space to just be seen and cared for, that's what that is. But this is really a time for you. If you don't have grief that you need to name or any of that, then I invite you to simply worship with us. Simply be present with us and, and hold that. Maybe pray for your sisters and brothers in this room who are walking through grief. Um, but this will be kind of a slow time. We sing several songs. We're going to give you space to do this, and I invite you again, if you're at all feeling a tug towards this, I invite you to participate and, and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does well. Is that fairly clear? So spiritual directors, I invite you to go to your, your tables, and I'm going to say a prayer for us, and then we'll, we'll worship together. Jesus, these are the seasons where I'm so grateful that you are Emmanuel, that you're God with us. Would you be with us as we brave to face our grief? The ways that life hasn't broke the way that we thought it was, the way that health changes or relationships change or lives here on earth end. This is precious time, Spirit, and we ask that you would move freely in this room and would simply join you. In your name, amen. Just a couple minutes to just prayerfully respond. Uh, whatever that looks like, take a few minutes to do that and then we'll, we'll walk into our our passages as the worship team continues to play.
just a moment, Rob's going to come and read a piece of liturgy for us. But I want to read our, our scriptures for this morning. Um, and sometimes, like, scripture is holy, right? It's a gift. It's, it's one of the ways that God speaks to us. And sometimes one of the ways we can, we can show that is just to stand in reverence. And if, if you're willing, I want to invite you to do that. Go ahead and stand. And I'm going to read these scriptures over us. First from Mark 3. In verse 13, it's recorded, He went up the mountain and called to him those whom he wanted. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles to be with him. And he sent them out to proclaim the message and have authority to cast out demons. So he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James and John, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Also in Hebrews, chapter 12, we get verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And for the sake of the joy that has been set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the Holy Scriptures. You may be seated. As we continue on, with the All Day uh, Saints, All Saints Day uh, service. As the candles are burning, as the candles may be burning in our hearts, as I pause, um, I want us to say, we remember. God who is with us in this season of looking forward, of anticipating Of things that of people who have transitioned on that we will remember them we often find ourselves uncomfortable and uneasy and worried and sad that the lights and the music that has been played the bright joy around us often make us more unquiet more out of step feeling even more disconnected and different let us say together we remember we remember some of these feelings come from false expectations. Others come from real situations and issues that face us or those whom, or who we love. Some from events we may influence and some are or beyond our control. Trusting in your grace and provision, we name these situations the face and the pain of dislocation they caused us. We claim your promise to companion in us and burn them 
we claim your steadfast love for us knowing you will help us find peace for our troubled spirits. We claim your wise and merciful power that you will meet each need as is best for us. Let us say together, we remember. God, we light these candles for all of those who grieve. You know your deepest needs, your understanding of our pains, lost dreams, lost opportunities, the separation of death. May, it's, may the lights remind us that we are not orphaned and we are not alone. God, grant us grace in the midst of the pain that we may find comfort in you, in sorrow and hope, in the death of the resurrection. Let us all say together, may we remember, we remember. Our spiritual directors are going to bring candles forward that were lit for you all and for the people that you love. They're going to be right behind me here. That'll be taking place in the next couple minutes. For the passages that we read, they began with Jesus going up onto this unnamed mountain, right? And this is reminiscent of, of Moses, of Jesus going to be with God. For, for people who were of the Jewish faith, it would sound familiar. And as he comes down, he appoints 12 to this very unique task of being with him and being the ones whom he sends out. And for 2,000 years, Jesus has been doing this work, calling us to be with him and sending us out. And then we get to this list of the 12. And most likely when we're devotionally reading Mark, we kind of let our eyes skim this list, right? We, we know the names, so we just kind of move on to something that might be a little more interesting. But on this All, All Saints Day, I think it's fitting that we spend some time here. As, as Daniel shared at our last slow invasion a few weeks ago, Mark was written around the year 70 CE, maybe a few years before, maybe a few years after. So for us, this is a list of 12 people but for those who were hearing the gospel according to Mark, these were people whose legacies were living on, whose memories inspired the hearers. And so let's look at these names. Mark begins with Peter, James, and John. These are the inner group, the, those who were closest to Jesus. Peter had a nickname, the Rock. He was the original Rock. The hearers know Jesus had denied Jesus, or knew that Peter had denied Jesus, but the early church also followed his lead. He was one of their leaders. Tradition says that Peter went to Rome and was the source of material for Mark. He was martyred by crucifixion between 64 and 68, just before this gospel according to Mark was probably published and read. James and John, they are brothers. They're the first recorded disciples, known as the Sons of Thunder. We don't know exactly what the nickname means, but it probably has something to do with their personality. They probably were really like your best friend or your worst friend. 
Because that's kind of what thunder is, right? James, he was martyred by Herod Agrippa in 44 CE. We have this account in Acts 12, too. John the fisherman was a pillar in the early church. Throughout church history, he is often understood as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Andrew, that's Peter's brother, another fisherman. He was present and waiting on the Holy Spirit in Acts 1. Eventually, he also was crucified, and his legacy was kept by being the patron saint for both Russia and Scotland. How that came about, I didn't research. Philip, he became one of the seven appointed to care for the widows in Acts 6. He was the first to leave Jerusalem. The rest of the disciples stayed, but he had this evangelistic bent to himself. He's famous for that encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch on the road. Bartholomew, that was most likely his last name. Nathaniel would be his first. Tradition says that he became a missionary to India. Matthew was a tax collector. Mark's account leads us to believe that he's the brother of James the Lesser. He was a wealthy man, out of favor with all of his countrymen, and yet he left everything he had to follow after Jesus. Thomas desperately wanted to touch and feel Jesus in order to believe. He was sure that Messiah meant something different, something more than dying, so he needed to touch Jesus to believe. He's picked up the nickname Doubting, but maybe honest or desperate or sincere would be a better moniker. James the Lesser, that really means smaller or younger. Well, older scholarship places him at the crucifixion next to Mary. Scholarship points to the nickname for Thaddeus, which is derived from the word the heart, probably speaking to the character, to how this man is understood by those around him as someone with a big heart. And then there's Judas Iscariot. Iscariot has taken on lots of meanings. People have thought it has meant dagger. Most likely, it probably comes from where he comes from. It's, it's probably like Matt from Minneapolis is probably what's going on there. He seems unsatisfied with the slowness of Jesus. Some scholars believe he was trying to force Jesus' hand to become the Messiah as he understood it. Whatever the motives, we know that Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus. It was known by Mark's hearers as he wrote that Judas was called. Judas died by his own hand in the field bought with the money from that betrayal. These are the twelve that were called and recorded around 70 CE. These were the names that had stories and lives that had touched the hearers. They knew them. They weren't abstract names that maybe show up in some stained glass, but they were the people who had first taken hold of the faith and brought it to the very people who are hearing the gospel according to Mark. But around 70 CE, we also have another book from Scripture. We have a book we know of as Hebrews. 
The internal evidence shows that it was written just before 70 CE, and in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, we have the verse that I had just read for you that I want to read again here. This beautiful language where it says that, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that is set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Now this list present in Mark, that is the cloud of witnesses for Hebrews. They're written about the same time. They're written to similar people. When they were thinking of the cloud of witnesses, they were thinking of people like Thomas, who they could relate to, and Judas, who they felt betrayed by, and Peter, who had been their leader, even though he had flaked out at times. And all they knew the stories, they knew the faith, because it was transformed and formed into their own. They knew of their own encounters with these people, or the people who followed them. This was their cloud of witnesses, and add to it their families and their friends, the heroes from their local community, those that they had lost along the way. These are the names and the faces, many known by the hearers of the gospel account. And now 2,000 years later, we're gathered. And with all of these saints, plus the saints of the last hundred generations, we gather. We gather not knowing the beautiful stories of the faithfulness of people who have loved Jesus from every, every generation, but we know the ones from the last few. We know these ones. We know these stories of the people who lived real lives and were part of what formed us. We know the parts that we're proud to say and the parts that we're less proud to say, but we know that our faith has been changed simply by everyone we've encountered, including all of these. And Hebrews is pointing to that all of these witnesses are cheering us towards love. They're cheering us towards remaining in Jesus, towards perseverance, in seeing Jesus as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I love this language. As the pioneer, Jesus is the one who began it. He's the one who first paved the way for us all. In love, in humility, even in suffering. And he wasn't the first, like some 80s hip-hop artist that then was improved upon by later artists. He was the perfecter. That's significant. He was the first, but he was the perfecter. What he did couldn't be improved upon again. He's our shining example, urging us to believe that this kingdom of God is still at hand. And then generation after generation of those people who've remained in him are now watching in some way that I don't fully understand, but I draw so much comfort from. In some way that I can't theologically argue how it all happens and how it doesn't, but I can artistically imagine. And I know that my heart is spurred forward towards love 
and hope. And so for just a moment, as we're about ready to receive communion, I want to invite you to to name, uh, go ahead and name those from the generations that, that we're talking of today. We have the names of the twelve, and then we have the names of, of some other faithful. If you feel comfortable, go ahead and say names. Debbie. Angie. Judy. Wasn't back. I know I came here early and lit for Uncle Dick and Aunt Joan, Aunt Rosalind, Cousin Tim, and Cousin Emily. these and many who are unnamed. They're the ones who are cheering us on. They don't want us to stop living because we miss them so deeply. But they want us to remember the best of them and to join the pioneer and perfecter. The seeing the kingdom come and God's will be done right here today, tomorrow, the next day, the best we can with as long as we have breath and until we join that cloud. And so with all those who've gone before us, as they did in their day, we do now. We're going to celebrate communion. So Mr. Don's getting up to to pass some (laughs) to pass some amazing wafers and juice these were made in the 80s, ironically, Rob. <laughs> There's a motion in the room. I've got to break it. There's a motion in the room. I have to break it. On the very night he was betrayed, we know that at least he had those 12 gathered, right? He had Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew. He had Matthew and Thomas, James the Lesser, Thaddeus, Judas. As he looked at these dear friends, the ones who were going to take what he had taught them and go forward to teach the next, to teach the next, to teach the next, to become us. He told them that when they gathered, they were to take the bread and break it, remembering that this was his body broken for them with joy 
even in suffering, knowing that God's kingdom came through it. And we have the honor of doing this in remembrance of him. He took the cup, and after giving thanks, he reminded them that this was his representing his blood which would be shed for the forgiveness of their sin. So every time they gathered, they could remember and, and have this be a combating story to stories of shame and failure, but the story of the one who redeemed them and the cloud of those who watch and cheer on are active today. Do this in remembrance of him. Please pray with me as we close. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you went first. And we thank you for for those we miss. For many of them loved, and so the idea of you loving is something we can imagine, because they did. We pray that we would pay attention to those cheering us on. We have courage to love and live and laugh and, and cry and inherit this life to the full that you came to give us. So we know that you're with us. Thanks for your goodness. Thanks for your grace. In your name. Amen. Well, thanks for being here, everybody. I know that this idea can be a little scary, so good job. You did it. But I pray that God met you in it. Next week, we'll continue looking at the book of Mark. And in just a few weeks, we, we will be at Lynnhurst, which if you don't know where that is, it is on the corner of Taylor and Walter. If you drive towards Iroquois Park, uh, you could take just any of these roads south towards Iroquois Park. Taylor and Walter is the corner. We'll see you guys next week.